Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode number 39. I uh, hope everyone's do, uh, enjoying the nice weather we've been having. Today, I want to welcome Nick Berenger, who is a nutritional physiologist. Uh, Nick, thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm so happy to you know talk about this stuff, and I just can't thank you enough for coming on here, and, and I'm excited to start chatting. Joe, no, thanks thanks for reaching out. Uh, it, was, it was perfect timing. I, I had a, a colleague, uh, Martin Rooney, who was just down there at the Sornex Summer Strong, and I was yep. seeing all the the exciting things that was going on there. A little envious, I'll, I'll admit <laughs> it. Um, but uh, then you reached out, and so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here and, and talk everything uh, you know performance and nutrition. Yeah, happy to have you here. And, and like I said, I, I talked about it last podcast uh, networking and just how small the uh, world of strength and conditioning. Uh, is because I, your stuff popped up because I was with Bill Gillespie and a colleague of mine, uh, Brad, who's the uh, head at NYU, was at the Sorenex uh, thing. And, and I was, you know, I was thinking about going and then, you know, I was looking through some pictures and stuff and your name popped up. So again, I always like to bring it up on here. You never know who you're going to meet and, you know, always be open to things and and always, you know, it's always important to keep an open mind, I think, in the, in the field because, you you know, you always dive into different things or you might click on something and then end up, you know, getting the pleasure to talk to somebody with, like yourself. No, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell a quick story if you don't mind it. You know, my, my background with that was, you know, I got introduced into strength conditioning. I actually thought I wanted to be a, a strength coach. That was what I was, I, I went to college thinking I was going to um, become because I had a, a great mentor uh, in the late great Scott Hines, who was my strength coach in Rome, Georgia. And um, he was friends with Bill Gillespie. And I was, I was telling Martin this story when I was a, I think I was a senior in high school. It was like the 97 or 98 um, NSCA strength and conditioning. Uh, they had it out in Vegas. I remember the, the Holyfield Tyson fight was going on at the time and he was spotting Bill Gillespie. And I remember he benched like 625 on the floor on just the exhibit floor in front of everyone. <laughs> and I thought he, that guy was Superman. Like I was just, you know, as a high school kid seeing that. And then the fact that he's still doing it today still blows my mind. But anyway. yeah, he's up to a thousand, I think. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And, and I feel like, you know, he's, he's an amazing person. And I talk about it all the time. I met him on a plane. Uh, you know, I was going to a conference and this guy who was in my seat and his sat next to me and, <laughs> and he just started talking And the whole weekend, you know, he, he kind of helped me and he just kind of made me part of his intern family. Cause I was there, you know, by myself. So I think, no, that's that's great. And yeah, he's still at it at uh, 59. I think he is. And I think he went for a, uh, a world record on this weekend, I think. It, it would not surprise me. I don't yeah. know that for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, that that's the craziest thing was when I saw him bench 625. I mean, 625, just a guy just sit down, get on a bench <laughs> and, and do that. I was I was amazed. And then the fact that he's continuing that, that's just awesome. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we go a little bit more in depth, you know, background where you grew up and, and then kind of how you, you got onto this uh, this path. Yes. Uh, so I, I grew up mostly uh, in, you know, basically fifth grade on in Rome, Georgia. It's a great little town in North Georgia. Uh, I like to think we got some pretty good football uh, there. And so, <laughs> so that's where I found myself, um, you know, in, in the weight room. Um, and again, got that great mentorship from uh, Scott Hines. He was a strength coach. He had, he had coached at Clemson. We were lucky enough to to have a strength coach who had collegiate experience at the high school level. Um, so he really turned me on to the fact that you know, this is, there's, there's an art and there's, there's, there's a science to it. And that's what I really grasped onto was, was the science and the sets and the rep scheme. And, you know, he was um, incorporating, you know, stuff that had been done at uh, West side, you know, at that time in, in high school. So, so the conjugate method and all like that, being introduced to that as a, as a high school uh, kid was, was really eye opening. Um, and then the nut nutrition piece um, I latched onto. So uh, I went to the university of Georgia, um, right out of high school. And I got to intern in their weight room for a little bit under Eric fears. Um, and then there was a guy who came on uh, Keith gray. Uh, I think he came from Auburn and he worked in that weight room and watching him and just the things he did in terms of working with the athletic trainers, 
And when athletes got injured and, and the bridging programs, I didn't realize they were bridging programs, but watching how he did that, I took a lot of lessons from him. Um, I probably, you know, if you talk to him, didn't apply him because I was a young college student and I was dumb. Um, but, but later on, especially in my military career, I ended up t- pulling out some of those lessons um, and applying it later. Uh, but while in college, I just, I fell in love with nutrition. And I also, you know, had this calling to want to serve in the army. So I did army ROTC at the university of Georgia, the bulldog battalion. And, you know, uh, one of the things was, Hey, I need to do a major that kind of applies to the army. I found out I could be a dietitian. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I did. So I actually switched kind of away from the strength conditioning realm, um, and became, uh, you know, on track to become a dietitian. And so that's what I commissioned into the army with, uh, which is a 65 Charlie. That's our, um, area of concentration. So dietitian, um, in the army. And so I came in the army in, uh, about, you know, 2003, um, after that, uh, you know, did my internship, became a registered dietitian, uh, got my CSCS because I thought that was really important to combine those two. Now it's, it's common. I think when I got it in 2000, is like around 2004, 2005, a lot of dietitians weren't, or as many doing it, definitely not in the military. Um, and, you know, I had the luck of uh, being able to deploy right away and, and then, um, going and, and getting attached to uh, the 75th Ranger Regiment and standing up there, helping stand up their Ranger Athlete Warrior Program uh, by a guy named uh, Danny McMillan and, and a gentleman, Rob Montz. They were a physical therapist and occupational therapist. And the three of us, along with a, a phenomenal um, non-commissioned officer, uh, Matt Wilson, kind of stood up this, this Ranger Athlete, uh, helped stand up this Ranger Athlete Warrior Program. And all it was is treating these, you know, rangers like athletes, like, like you would in the collegiate setting, um, you know, giving them appropriate nutrition, appropriate sports medicine, uh, appropriate periodization and training, um, mental toughness was a component of it. So there was a psychological piece. Um, and so I did that. Uh, then I was lucky enough to get picked up uh, for long-term health education, which is basically the army lets you go to school. I got my doctorate um, in kinesiology under uh, Dr. Richard Kreider out at Texas A&M at the Exercise Sport and Nutrition Lab, which again, great folks, learned so much, did that, was able to teach at the graduate program in nutrition down there in uh, uh, San Antonio, uh, Fort Sam. Uh, then I went to the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, got to do research on war fighters on kind of the nutritional requirements there. Um, and then it led me here to West Point, where I'm assistant professor in the Department of Physical Education. So that's my uh, kind of career up to now in a nutshell. Hopefully that wasn't too long. Oh no, never too long. And, and that's a great, you know, great story, great journey. And I always, you know, like to, you know, get into those things. What made you good, you know, how you became where you are and, and the steps though, I think the steps are important, especially since we we're kind of in a world now where everybody looks at the end and they only want to know the end and there's no, uh, you know, kind of want to, to know the beginning, right? I mean, growing up, I was always interested in, still am, documentaries and, and just following, you know, the, the person from where they were to now, because I think it's important because then you can, I think you can find a layer or, or a spot in the person's journey that you can relate to, right? If you, if you look at the, somebody like Clayton Kershaw, let's just say, you're not going to be Clayton Kershaw tomorrow, right? And, or ever, but you can look at his upbringing and say, okay, he was 140 pounds at six foot four or whatever. Uh, you know, that's not his, his stuff. I'm just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. So it's always important, I think, to talk about that stuff. Uh, when you were in high school early on in the weight room, were you interested in nutrition then too? Were you somebody that always looked at, you know, your food choices and, and really kind of uh, focused in on that at an early age? Yeah, Joe, great uh, to go back to that. So I, I did football, but I also did wrestling. And so really it was like, I think like my eighth grade year, the, the, the coach gave me like a sheet about like nutrition and how I should eat to make my weight class. And I, I just locked onto that thing. I mean, it like, you know, it drove my parents crazy because I'm like, oops, it's not on the sheet. I'm not eating it. You know, like it's um, so, so wrestling probably really opened my eyes because of that weight class sport. And I did a lot of stupid things like a lot of, you know, young athletes did to, to make weight looking back on it. Um, but, but that's what really locked me into nutrition. And then the, the other piece with, with football and then trying to gain that weight back is, you know, I'm not a natural athlete. Uh, I'm not an athletic guy. So where I had to kind of close that gap for individuals, if I wanted to start was I knew in the weight room and, and nutrition and recovery, 
Um, and kind of that was where I was going to make my money, if you will. So that's that's where I really got interested in nutrition, was I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, wrestling has, has always been hard. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I did wrestle because it was right where basketball season was. But kids used to drink, you know, the film capsules full of, you know, the warm water and all this stuff. And one of my, you know, close friends growing up used to run around the gym with a trash bag on. And people are like, you should wrestle. And I'm like, are you, you know, you nuts? I don't want to do any of this stuff. But I, I think that there's not enough kind of placed, you know, into that with wrestling, you know, I, you always see like the, the nutrition component is, is always something that everybody knows is included, but there's never really a breakdown. And I think that's one of the, the areas right now where we still kind of struggle a little bit, because if you take every sport, right, I, I want to get into the, the army stuff and the nutrition, because I think it's uh, fantastic. And I want to hear about that stuff, but in other sports too, right? Like baseball, right? We see a lot of injuries. It's very hard to put people on nutrition plans and, and make sure that their stuff is, is kind of figured out, even if they're on board for those things, you know, especially in wrestling, you don't really, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. It's very hard to do that unless you're kind of blessed to not have to lose weight, go up and down. I think it's something where, you know, there has to be more awareness to eating and also, you know, about how can I have the best food choices or make the best food choice for my body. But now we have that dependent variable also, which is the amount of time and, and the things that we are required to do uh, throughout the day. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's gotta be practical. It's gotta be applicable. Um, I think we're seeing it more with, with weight class sports and I'm, I'm happy about this. I'm a big fan of, you know, mixed martial arts and kind of following that. And I think you're, you know, there was definitely some dangerous habits um, that was, was done there just like, you know, in wrestling that's, that's kind of gotten corrected because, you know, folks think there's this size advantage, right? If you're, if you're really bigger, you can cut all this weight and, and come down. Um, but there was a paper, I think it was out of Australia that showed folks that cut 10% of their body weight versus those that did 8% performed worse, uh, overall. So I think athletes now are starting to realize it's not smart to balloon up, you know, after a competition or after and, and cut all that weight that it, the, the closer you can be kind of to that weight class and then come down to it, the better off you're going to perform in terms of hydration, et cetera. So we're seeing more science get applied uh, to those weight class sports, which, which I think is safer for the athlete. And then it gives the uh, you know, the fans a better product in terms of those athletes aren't gassed after the first round because they cut all that weight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that, that gap between the fuel and what you get on the field is I think is what's helping, you know, the, the, um, the, the rise in nutrition and the understanding because it's something that was, I think, was avoided for years. You know, when I was in the minor leagues, we used to serve peanut butter and jelly and poof chips. Uh, and everybody's like, how can you do that? But it's just, there's, you know, it's, it's the amount of money and then, and then how much we have to add there. But I think the word, you know, that practical part is, is important. I think that's something that has to be understood throughout the entire thing. You know, you talk about all the time, you know, workouts too. You have it written down. It looks great on paper. It, it adds up. Everything's here. This week's for this. The next week's for that. And then you go in a weight room and they come in and say, you have a half an hour instead of an hour and you have 50 people instead of 20. And that thing becomes obsolete. So I think that that practical word uh, is very important just across the board, especially nutrition. You know, you have days where, you know, sports teams, guys don't sleep or, or certain. And I'm sure in the army, it's there's a lot more that goes into trying to become practical because you never know what's going to go on with, uh, you know, all the stuff they have to go through or, or you know, the sudden change in, in kind of the schedule. No, you, you nailed it. And, and I'll, I'll go to your example of, you know, hey, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's there's nothing wrong with that, especially if that's what the athlete wants to eat. Um, we we've seen this in in studies with the the military. You know, you can have that perfect meal, or you can offer soldiers that meal, but it's only good if they eat it. Uh, so you could have had some sort of you know organic granola, whatever for those for those baseball players. But if they want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that's what they're going to eat, that's the best fuel choice. Because from a practical standpoint, again you know, the, the athlete's palate plays a huge role. Um, just like in, in training, you know, your time requirement, your space requirement is going to drive, you know, what uh, exercises you might be able to select. So, yeah, I like yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, so when you first, you know, got into the nutrition, you know, with the army and the ranger school, I just want to talk, what are some of the things that you kind of saw that were issues and then how did you kind of work to try to change some of those? Or what are some of the things you use to change uh, kind of the overall nutrition? Well, it's a great question. First, when I first started off, I was in a hospital and, and that's where you usually find um, most dietitians is, is you, you find them in a hospital, although now we're, we're kind of pushing out with an initiative called holistic health and fitness out to the units, which I think is a better model. Um, but I saw a lot of, you know, um, soldiers dealing with, with weight issues. 
Um, I was at uh, Fort Hood, Texas, and you know we had a, quite a few soldiers who were who were over the body composition. They get taped and and they they break that tape. And you know the first couple classes I gave, I give them all this. I just hit them with all my knowledge, right? I'm just giving them all this nutrition information, and nothing happens. I'm not. I'm seeing the same folks over. Namely, they're not losing weight. So I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And you know I realized really quickly it's it's not always a you know, for the most part, a knowledge gap sometimes with nutrition, there's a, you know, a practical, um, motivational, you know, uh, gap that, that you have to close. So for instance, one of the things I found very effective was when these soldiers are on this, uh, body composition program, they can't get promoted. So if you're a private, you can't get promoted to specialist until you come off this program. So I calculated the money that it costs from not being able to get promoted. And I remember starting off one of my classes and I thanked everyone for, you know, paying so many thousands of dollars to be in the class. And all the soldiers look around like, sir, this is, this is free. What are you doing here? I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Let me break it down for you. How long have you been on this program? And, you know, they tell me, so I'm like, well, you know, you would have been a specialist by now. And so all those, those weeks or months you've been on this program, you're losing that money. So essentially you're, you're paying now I'm not seeing the money, but the fact that you're willing to sacrifice it, you know, just to, you know, not uh, do the right thing or, or, you know, and, and let me help you get that money. You know, and, and then there was a, a pocket of soldiers. Now all of a sudden that resonated. Now I see the numbers start to drop. Okay, they're, you know, they're motivated uh, fiscally. Whereas like an older soldier, you know, maybe dealing with their cholesterol or something like that, I, I can use a health model. I can be like, hey, you know, you want to play with your kids, your grandkids. Let's let's fix this because of that. Whereas if I try to use that model with a, a young soldier, you know, you're 21 years old. You're not thinking about your health. Yeah, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was really that's what I learned. Uh, being a dietitian was learning to adjust kind of uh, the, the motivation cues on, you know, t- to my audience, you know, what they were interested in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that finding the motivation is the most important thing. Right. And I I feel like that's one of the hardest things to do. And from that, we it kind of gets skipped over because you have to, you know, you have to go everybody individually. Okay, what you have this person, right? They're good at this or they're not good at this, but how can I get them to eat better? Right. And I think that is something that that's it's always the hardest part. You know, it's the same thing if you have a weight room full of guys, the the best coaches and the the biggest responses are when you can figure out why all of your athletes are there and what individualized reason they're there too. And the more we can kind of poke at that, if you will, the more we can get them to push. And I I always think that that's, it's almost one of those things that's right in front of you, but a lot of times either they don't know, or you try to kind of pinhole everybody and use the same thing. Like you said, with the difference in age, right? If you tell a 21 year old kid who's Superman, oh, if you eat, you know, bacon, egg and cheeses, it's going to affect your heart. They could care less. But if you have an older person, you know, family, exactly. Do you want to walk? There's a you know famous entrepreneur that says that he was in bad shape and he saw an ad on a uh, airplane about heart disease. And he went in there with the doctor and the doctor says, you have a daughter, right? Do you want to walk down to, you know, do you want to walk down the aisle with you or somebody else? And that kind of changed everything that he went through. So I think that's uh, a great point to kind of hammer home is that it's all about finding a practical source, but also what is going to resonate most with, with who I'm working with. A hundred percent. It's just like, uh, you know, I was thinking about this and kind of, you know, thinking about this podcast was with, with strength coaches. What I love, I love watching strength coaches uh, work because like the coaching cues they use for different athletes, the things that they say that all of a sudden you see them click and they'll, you know, do the power clean correctly or squat correctly. Um, you know, as you know, that there's an art and a science to, you know, internal versus external cues and all these things. So it was kind of the same thing again, where having that, strength coach background kind of helped me as a dietitian was okay now I've got to you know do this for for these uh, patients I'm working with is is find these appropriate nutritional cues and, and use them to the best of my ability yeah absolutely and, and I think that the understanding helps you right I always think that you know we, we have this thing still in the industry where the nutritionist stays in their lane the strength coach is over here the AT is over here and again I never understood it because you talked about the, the complexity of your of your job, right? Being a nutritionist, understanding the molecular structures of food, but on top of all that stuff, understanding how can I get this person to do what I want? How can I change their patterns? Right? We talked about psychology a little bit before the show, but it's it's all that stuff combined in every single aspect, you know, from your ATs, your nutritionists, performance coaches, the even the analytics people, we're all working on the same thing. We have to affect 
all five of those lanes, if you will, in the brain or with the person in order to make a change. And that's why I never under, why, why are we fighting, right? You want to fight with an AT about this when you should be worrying about your lane and the AT should be worrying about and not staying in their lane and not that, but how can I get my athlete to change physiologically? How can I get them to change biochemistry? And then how, then lastly, the physical part will come after that. But I think a lot of it's either jumbled or sometimes we skip over that. And I think nutrition is, you know, one of the things with that is I think that's something where it has to mentally work first because you're not going to kind of be, you know, kind of have your nutrition in order and then you're going to have physical features become better. You're not going to perform better if you're kind of doing a half-assed job with the nutrition. So I think nutrition is unique in that way because you have to affect the mental aspect first. There has to be a driving force and then they have to make a decision that they want to be disciplined with their food choices. And then the performance stuff usually comes last as opposed to strength conditioning. If you load them up, if you give them enough weights, I can kind of bypass you going out and having some beers in your crappy diet for a little while, but it's not till you start to get into those upper echelons of, of their performance model and, and being a, a high level performer that we need to make those changes. And some of them honestly don't have to do that in the strength and conditioning realm. You know, Ocho, Chad Ocho ate McDonald's all the time, right? He wasn't there eating salads and counting his nutrition and, and all those things. So I think that's one of the, the, the great things with nutrition, though, you have to make a, a mental uh, you know, impact first or less you're not, you're not going to get anywhere. There's really no way around that. No, and, and you bring up a great point about kind of the, the, sometimes you see the silos, right, of the, okay, strength, conditioning, nutrition. And that was one of the, the great things uh, it, with the, the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program was you, you had a physical therapist, occupational therapist, dietitian. Uh, we had a psychologist at the unit, physician assistant, you name it. We all were in the same building. I shared an office with the physical therapist, occupational therapist. I would watch them work. You know, I would, I would learn, you know, you know, I, I learned what the McKenzie technique and Graston and all these different physical. Now I'm not trying to be a physical therapist. I'm not going to try to go out there and, you know, scrape some metal thing on you or anything like that. But what that allowed us to do is to all be on message, just like they knew nutrition. So for instance, a great example, I was um, working out in our, you know, training facility. And I remember seeing a ranger kind of, you know, there were, there was a hitch in a step or there, there, there wasn't something right. I saw a movement pattern. That's like, there's an injury there. So I walk over and I'm like, Hey, have you seen the physical therapist for that? You know, because one of the stats that we, we saw was the quicker that we got them in the, the less kind of, you know, time they were out. Right. Um, so the sooner you saw a physical therapist, the better outcome you had, the longer you waited, the longer that recovery process. So I had that discussion with them and I'm like, Hey, as soon as you're done, you know, stop here, go see the physical therapist. And he did, you know, and, and so, and then it was the same with at, at the dining facility, uh, if the physical therapist was there and he sees some soldier that I'd worked with, maybe not eating what he should be, he could walk over there and be like, Hey, did Nick tell you to eat that? Or is you, aren't you supposed to be doing this or that? And I think the messaging, that's what you get. You get that synergy of messaging when everybody's working together and we all know what each other wants out of the athletes, then, then you, it's, it's very powerful because you're, you're peppering that athlete. You know, every time I see them, I'm like, hey, how's your rehab going? How are you doing this? And then when they're at their rehab, they're like, hey, how's your nutrition going? How's your recovery, et cetera? Um, so, so I think that's powerful and it gets lost if you, you're kind of in a siloed system. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's interesting. And I, I think that's great that they do that where everybody kind of checks on everybody else's stuff. And then what that does is it, it, it allows the athlete to say, oh, wow, why does the, you know, why does the physical therapist care about what Nick's telling me about my nutrition? Or why does Nick care about my rehab? And it's an understanding of, because I, I think one of the things you bring up, I think it's misunderstood that the athletes know everything we're, we're teaching them, right? And in reality, and this isn't being negative, but most of them have no idea what we're doing or, or some of the things. And I noticed this in college because we would have, I'd have kids four years, right? We go in the weight room. I'd explain everything. We put it on the board. I'd go through a whole big detailed thing, but then we would take exercise science classes and they wouldn't know, you know, anything about it, or they wouldn't, they'd have to write a program and they'd come up and say, can we, you know, I need help with this. And I'm like, but we just did all this stuff. And, and early on, it was, haven't you been paying attention for the last four years? But then you realize that no, because we're not hitting that. It's not a cognitive demand. It's, I can do the movement this is what we're doing. And then, and then this is kind of, you know, I do the movement, but they're not sitting there saying, okay, I'm doing deadlifts and then box jumps come after that. And then after that, we're doing ground reactive stuff that doesn't happen. So I think it's very important that all those 
um, you know, sectors, if you were on the same page to kind of hammer that in, because the kids are not going to come away knowing everything that you talked about nutrition, everything I'm teaching them in strength and conditioning and everything that the ATs say. But if they understand that it all goes together now, when they go on to other places in their life, if they continue to play sports or, you know, go on to different branches or, or stay in the same thing with the military, at least now they know it, it, they, it all matters. And, and whatever you try to take on, it's going to be affected by all this. So I, can't, I think it kind of helps limit what they're trying to take on, right? So you don't have a guy saying, why weigh 180 pounds? I want to be, you know, 150 with 7% body fat because they understand how hard that, that is and, and how much they're going to have to alter, you know, the, those other things we talked about. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's also the fun thing with, you know, nutrition is, you know, everybody wants to be like 10% body fat. <laughs> and yep. and so uh what i do even even you know sometimes the cadets here at west point i'll get somebody oh i want to be they'll just throw out a percent body fat number a low percent body fat number and i'm like why especially if they're an athlete and they're like well you know want to see my abs or whatever and i'm like hey does your abs aren't going to make you swim faster run faster you know and and honestly i've seen more folks hurt their performance trying to get to a certain aesthetic now if you're a bodybuilder and and you know that's your your sport if you will that's a completely different uh, discussion but if you're an athlete you want to be at the body composition that you perform the best at it doesn't matter if you can see your abs or not that's that's irrelevant so yeah i think that's another kind of example of just you know ever yeah. being on the same sheet yeah i think that you know that's always something too we have this ideal athlete look, right? And, and I think right. it's nonchalantly put on now by publicity, right? Even look at, let's take football. Trevor Lawrence is in phenomenal shape, right? Number one pick. And now all the stuff's around him with the Jaguars. And I think that is sometimes it, it's hindering, right? Because, you know, if you see most of the, the guys that are good, they're not all with six pack. Occasionally, yeah, you have one, right? That That is a, a decent amount of of people, but it has nothing to do with those things. And I think that's, you know, we get caught up with those composition things, right? And like you said, you you have, you know, issues with performance. I used to work with the guy that trained CeCe Sabathia and he was, you know, everybody knows CeCe's a big guy. And the year, I guess he's, you know, he tried to lose weight. That's when he hurt his knee. So you also see those things, you know, they'll lose weight and then they'll, uh, you know, they'll kind of, you know, the stuff will happen. But, uh, you know, a very important part that everybody doesn't get really is, your performance or your weight is some of the, all that goes into your velocity or what you're trying to do or the force you're trying to create. And when you're taking it away, you're not just getting rid of 30 pounds of fat, right? And regardless of that, you might still be able to use that fat or that weight to make you good at what you do. And I think that's a very interesting point where you have this aesthetic look and everybody should look this way and, you know, the best play this way, or, or this is how you're supposed to look. And I think that's another thing that, um, you know, really takes away because a kid could be, you know, eating right and working out, kicking his, you know, kicking his butt. But if he's not genetically sound to carry around 8% body fat, it looks like you don't do your job. Or how can you be following a, a diet, right? That's another word I'm sure that you love, you know, we, and, and this isn't work or I need to go on a diet, right? Which is something I want to talk to you about too, you know, moving forward. But those words, right? A diet, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle choice. And it's, you know, they use that word practical that you brought up before. What can I give you, right, to be practical that you'll follow that will be beneficial instead of, you know, I could tell you not eat carbs for three months and you'd lose all kinds of weight. Right. No, it's, it's, you know, different, you know, nutrition plans or, or, you know, diet, uh, he's kind of a, I, we try to avoid, uh, but, you know, I get those questions all the time in terms of, you know, intermittent fasting, uh, ketogenic, uh, you know, paleo, all these things. And they're, they're tools, I look mm -hmm. at them as, as there's their tools in a toolbox that you can use to, to get people to eat less calories. And that's what it all comes down to. And nobody wants to hear that. Right. But it's just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's all, all those diets. What, what do they have in common when they work? The, the folks eat less calories than they need and, and you lose weight. Now, when you add the athletic component to it, that's where, you know, I always am quick to point out is like, you know, that that's, that's where like a ketogenic diet, if you're, if you're not just trying to lose weight, uh, but you're trying to perform athletically, your, your power output, all the things are going to suffer because you need carbohydrate. That's the high octane fuel. Um, same with, you know, intermittent fasting, sometimes a, a tactical athletes that, that I work with, that, that's kind of an interesting, you know, thing that they're very curious about and they ask about. And one of the uh, papers I, I reviewed is, you know, looking at intermittent fasting and, and you know, basically shows in, in most of the, the, the studies they looked at, there's some sort of cognitive decline 
Um, and it, the brain runs off of glucose, right? Makes mm -hmm. sense. And so I, you know, I tell those, those tactical athletes, I'm like, Hey, you're, you're in a scenario where you're holding a weapon system and you have to discriminate whether it's friend or foe or whether, you know, shoot or don't shoot. Do you want your fuel source to your brain to have some sort of problem there? No, you want your brain working as well as possible. And so that's why I don't recommend that, particularly if, if you're going to be in those high intense scenarios. So, yeah, so it's kind of like two different components is you have these, you know, nutrition. If you're just talking about weight loss, there's a lot of different tools you can use. Um, but then when we talk about performance, understanding that a uh, nutrition plan that works for weight loss isn't always going to be good for performance. Yeah, Um Absolutely. And when you, you know, when you were with the soldiers, do you feel like, uh, just talk a little bit about because you're, you know, so involved in what they were doing, did that help you come up with their plans? Because I feel like a lot of times you have a nutritionist, right? And nobody really thinks of, especially, you know, just I'll speak from the sports realm, as somebody who's also on the sidelines and in the, in the dugout, right? Uh, observing what's going on, right? Another problem, I think, is why we can't get handled. It's usually somebody that has an office, right? And they're kind of on the, the other side of the medical, and they're not physically standing there watching the nine innings or they're and not that they have to but you're not on the bus traveling through the midwest and you're exhausted so it's you know because we used to have this you know one of those problems in the minor leagues the nutritionist would show up and say we need to eat more salad and i would say things like well i would put the salad there but they don't eat it so after throwing away you know 20 pounds of lettuce i just stop buying salad you know and i think that's that's one of those things where uh, you know, it's a hands-on job, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, doing the due diligence also to kind of understand what your clients or the people whose patterns you're trying to change uh, are doing so we can make the, the best effect for them. Uh, yeah, you nailed it, 100%. Uh, it, it's about, you know, you don't have to be a baseball player to, to be a good, you know, uh, nutritionist for baseball, and it, it's kind of the same with, with the military. However, you do have to get out of the office. And that's, that's a piece of advice I always give to, to young dietitians is get out and go and train with your soldiers. So I did more nutritional consults um, waiting to jump out of a plane probably than I ever did in my office. Why? Because, you know, you get, you get anybody, you know, jump status knows that you get rigged up and you just sit there for hours, like waiting on the plane to get on and, you know, jump out of it. And so what else are you going to do? You can talk nutrition. Um, and so going to the range, doing those things, you know, in a sport would be baseball. Yes. Sitting there through the innings, it's not going to increase your nutrition knowledge. You're not going to maybe have a nutritional epiphany, but you understand what that athlete uh, is going through a little more. And then more importantly, they see you out there and mm -hmm. they know, you know, and, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it, it's, it's only practical. It only works if they're willing to do it. And a lot of it is they get to know that you care and they trust you. Just like when you give them a strength training program or whatever, if they don't trust you, they're, they're not going to do the program, you know, effectively, unless, you know, especially when you're not watching. Um, so as a dietitian, since I can't walk around with them and live with them and follow them around and tell them what to eat, I have to develop a trust. And how do I do that? Well, I go out and I see their job. I, I do their job as much as I can. I try to, you know, get out there and do it and uh, understand that and build that relationship with them. And then say, hey, you know, I, I see you're an expert in this field and that I'm an expert in this field. Trust me on this, you know, try it my way. And I'll only give them, you know, one thing, two things, three things is all I've ever given. Like, I don't give a lot of changes, just, you know, little baby steps like drink more water um, and then, you know, come back in a couple of weeks and then we'll work on the next and work on the next. But a lot of it is just, you know, building trust. Uh, that's all there is to it. But, but the key yeah. is to be out there with the athlete. Yeah, absolutely. The, the trust is the biggest thing, right? And I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. You have to be in there. You know, everybody listening, whatever you want to be a nutritionist, a strength coach, an AT, you have to be on the sideline and you you almost have to, they have to see you doing what, you know, what you're doing. Even if you aren't as good at it, it's it's the point of, the, all they want is you're there, you know, and, and that that's all that, that it comes down to. They just want to know that you understand what you're going through because it's very easy to come and say, well, you know, you need to eat this way or you need to do that. Right. I always think of that. It's always important to with the sleep stuff. Oh, you need to get more sleep. Well, duh. But why are they staying up? What makes them stay up? Things of that sort. Right. And I always I like the fact that you take that one step, two step, three step approach with changing the patterns, because I think the easiest thing in the world is to identify what somebody needs all at once. Right. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you do this, this, this right training. I'll say the same thing. It is not hard to get a person to sweat or deadlift or, you know, lift weights and those things. Those are not the difficult parts. The difficult part is the trust. And the difficult part is getting them to abide by what you're telling them 
when things on the field aren't going as planned and to stick to what you're doing and, and kind of trust you, but also getting them to trust you enough that they don't want to let you down, right? You talked about it before with kind of having each part of the silo checking up on the other one. Not only does that make the athlete or, or the soldier, you know, make sure that they're that people are invested, but it also allows them to know, oh man, if, if I eat bad food, you know, I'm going to get in trouble or I don't want to let this person's down. And I know that this person is, is doing all they can for me. And if I, when I'm not with them or not around them, if I slip and let's just say eat a bunch of candy bars or I don't work out, I'm going to let them down. And I can't do that because now I, I know how, how long or, you know, how uh, much they've been working. Did you jump out of the plane? Yes. Giving them the, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so that was, I mean, and that was, it goes back to your point is the, the great thing about, you know, wearing the, the, you know, the military uniform was I, I was able to go through a lot of the training as much as I could with those individuals. So again, I understood, you know, caloric restriction. I understood, you know, sleep deprivation and, and experienced that. Um, so I could take and apply my nutrition knowledge to that and, and talk to them. And then it, it gave me credibility with that audience to where they're like, okay, he knows, you know, a little bit about what we're, we're going through. And so let's, you know, hear him out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of just uh, certain ways to go about things, are you, if you find something, you know, a new study, new science on nutrition, uh, do you test that out on yourself sometimes before you give that as an example? Or do you use that? I'm just, you know, just spitballing. Uh, you know, if you saw a new diet, would you be a person that says, oh, I'm going to test, kind of test this out, see how I feel before I use it? No, not always. Sometimes <laughs> I, I would just, I would read the study and go with it. I, I'll give you an example. I'll pick on it. You know, <laughs> I, I never thought as a dietitian, I would have to tell someone eating nothing but meat is probably not a good idea. <laughs> but here we are today, like the carnivore diet. Like yep. I'm, I'm probably never going to try the carnivore diet just because there's so much research that shows fruits and vegetables are good. You know, you eat a lot of red meat, you're increasing your chances of colorectal cancer. I, th there's enough evidence out there. I don't need to go and try it, you know, do a, do a study of one. I want to, I want to protect my health. Um, now, you know, some things with, you know, maybe a, a caffeine dose or, um, you know, uh, you know, some sort of training protocol, like post-activation potentiation. Yes, by all means, I might go out there and you know, uh, load myself up and then see if I can sprint faster or something like that. But in terms of trying all the different diets, like, you know, ketogenic, all like that, I read the research and then, you know, just kind of make an educated uh, decision based off of that. I feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I was just wondering to see if any, any crazy diets or anything that you tried, because there's some, there's some stuff out there. I mean, I've gotten my share of, oh, I'm going to do this or, you know, oh, I've eaten carbs in a month or I just eat this or, or they start to ask you and then my fear, oh yeah, just do this and you'll lose weight. I'm sure you've had, you know, oh, my trainer or somebody I know, you know, they've done this and that. And, and that's always the thing, you know, nutrition, I always feel like is the most dangerous thing, but everybody feels like they should just give their advice. Right. And I, I don't, that's one of the things with the field that I, I, I wish there would be more awareness that it is the most dangerous, right? I can't do too much with the deadlift, right? Spar, you know, yeah, you can hurt your back, different things. I'm not saying it's not dangerous, but if you're going around saying, hey, don't, don't eat carbohydrates, right? You're, you're, you're going to directly affect that person in, in a whole bunch of ways that you don't know, you know, but they're going to lose some weight. And I always think it's, it's always big, you know, with the certifications and those things. And I try to hammer home, you're not allowed to give nutrition advice, right? It doesn't matter if you have any of those things, unless you're an RDA, you, you can't give those, uh, you know, those, those things. But I think it's, it's always, what, oh yeah, well, they're going to eat this or, or go eat this, right? It's always something, you know, everybody, you see it on Instagram now, right? Oh, nutrition, you get a nutrition booklet, you get it. I'm like, what are we doing here? You know, you, you can't hand out those things. There's so much more that goes into all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it makes it makes for frustration, but it keeps it interesting and sometimes entertaining. Like I said, I, I never thought uh, starting out becoming a dietitian, I'd have to tell people why they should not eat nothing but meat. But I've actually done that at least twice. Um, so so you have that. And at this point in my career, I don't get frustrated uh, by it. You know, with, if anything, it's, it's job security uh, for those willing to listen. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we kind of know you know, what a healthy diet looks like, but it's, but it's not going to sell books. Mm -hmm. that, that's what it comes down to, right? If I say, Hey, um, you know, eat, eat some, you know, high quality protein, probably mostly, you know, lean cuts of meat, uh, you know, some vegetables, get some color on your plate, some fruit, drink plenty of water, you know, all these things. 
that's not going to sell a book. But if I, if I say something like, you know what, you don't need to eat anything but meat. That's it. Just eat meat. That's going to sell a book. So I, I think that's what we run into in nutrition is like, what's, what's going to grab the headlines. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's across the board. What, what is going to cause, what is going to, like you said, great example, sell a book, right? Cause the, the, you know, one time, you know, I went to a conference, talked about the, there was a person on stage they said, exercise, eat more vegetables, eat fruit, drink water, sleep for five hours. That was it. That was the thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's all you have to do. And people are like, what? There's not. I'm like, yeah, no, this from a standpoint is, is very easy what you have to do. But I think we, we go around in a circle because it's sitting in the middle. And then we want to, you know, continuously figure out. I think that's what, you know, CrossFit I love is a sport. But I think that's the, the wave that exploded, you know, a few years ago because, if you do, if you do nothing and then you go to a CrossFit, of course, you're going to lose weight. Of course, you're going to see changes that nobody else has seen because now you're teaching Olympic lifts to the masses and you're doing things that a nobody's done forever and B you're doing it in large volumes, kind of shocking the system. And then that carnivore diet, you know, latch right on top of that. So now you have groups of people that have never moved before or haven't worked out in years. Now they're doing snatches three times a day, uh, three times a week, running around doing all this crazy stuff. And they're not eating carbohydrates. So obviously you're going to get a massive amount of, of change. And, and I think that's where, you know, you get into those things, but then you, you know, without the proper understanding of each of those things, uh, you know, that's where you get the standstill. So I think that's where it slowed down, but I always think it's a great example because they kind of hit it both sides with the crazy diet, like you said, that sells books and then the, the, the crazy exercises. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't think every CrossFit facilities like that, um, you know, there's oh, no, probably no, extremes and yeah. fringes and yeah, yeah, plenty of folks who do it uh, smartly. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if you do, you know, strength training and a combined of, of, you know, kind of high intensity work and you restrict your calories, you're going to see results. And I, and I think that's what they kind of, you know, got after uh, versus just, you know, up in, until then, what was it? It was always like, you know, you lift weights to build muscle, you do long, slow, you know, kind of mm -hmm. cardio to lose fat. And that was, that was the, you know, the, the, the two models and by combining them, I, I think, uh, you know, definitely folks have, have, have liked that much better. Absolutely. Uh, so for, for the field, right. With the nutrition stuff, kinesiology, what is something that you would like to see change in the future? If you could pinpoint or a few things maybe to say, you know, if we change this or this approach, in the next couple of years, it's going to make a big impact on, on the world of nutrition and, and as we see it in performance. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for tactical athletes, I'm, I'm, I'm thankfully I'm finally getting to see it um, in terms of when I first came in the military and I saw the way, you know, soldiers trained, it was mostly muscular endurance, uh, cardio, long, slow running. The nutrition wasn't optimal. Um, and then I would look at coming from like, you know, the University of Georgia and seeing how they trained athletes and fed their athletes. I'm like, well, you know, th these guys' lives are on the line. You know, we, we should treat them the same as we're, we're treating those football players. And so we're starting to see that now with holistic health and fitness and closing that gap um, in, in terms of that. Uh, what, what I see the future in terms of, you know, overall uh, performance, nutrition and health is, is kind of the, the, the precision, you know, nutrition uh, concept where now, you know, maybe we can look at your genetics and there's a certain diet that, is best for an individual's genetics. Maybe, you know, lower carbohydrate is better for some genetic profiles and higher carbohydrate is better for others. Um, the gut microbiome, I think that's, uh, that's so fascinating. Um, I have a colleague, Dr. Phil Carl, if anybody wants to like look up some of his research, uh, he works at the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, um, does a lot of the stuff for the, the DOD with, with looking at the, the, the gut microbiome. And, and now they're seeing that, you know, certain bugs in the gut um, is higher in some athletes than others. And then, you know, what, what could happen there and, and what, you know, functions um, are going on there. So, so those are kind of the, the two big areas I see is, you know, using uh, leveraging our genetics to, to come up with a, you know, kind of prescriptive nutrition plan that's best for our genetics. And then the bacteria in our gut, is there a profile, you know, if a warfighter is, is going to a certain country that, you know, has, you know, a high case of, certain gastrointestinal, you know, diseases or something in the water. Is there a gut profile that we could give them that makes them resistant to, you know, getting diarrhea, those sort of things that would take them out of the fight, which then again, could, could carry over to athletics, right? If you, you know, if you've got to go uh, overseas or cross country in a flight and travelers diarrhea is a concern, if you could give those athletes certain, you know, probiotics, that's going to make them resistant, less likely to get a cold, less likely to get sick, less likely to have a stomach bug, 
um, then that would be a benefit as well. So I see those are the kind of the two realms um, that I think we're going to see some growth in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if we can, uh, you know, get the body to react in the way that we want, depending on where they're going or what they have available, I think we'll uh, definitely see some changes. Uh, do you currently, you know, now do you use any wearables or, or any of those things to test, uh, you know, the, the guys, you know, blood sugar levels or, or, or the kind of their uh, what's going on in their body as they go through training? I, I personally do not use uh, anything. We, we've done some stuff with like uh, Garmin watches mm-hmm. and aura rings. I love those yeah, uh, yeah. things. I, I mean, that uh, I've used that with some athletes I work with and I, I love it because, you know, before it's like, Hey, are you getting enough sleep? Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm getting enough sleep. <laughs> no, now I can go in and I can look and be like, Hey, what was going on between midnight and one o'clock? You know, were you watching Netflix? What are you doing? You know, and you get that sleep score and you get that heart rate variability and uh, you know, that thing doesn't lie. And, and so, and then what, what I've really been fascinated with is, is tying in the nutrition component is, is, Hey, what are you eating on this day? And then looking at how their sleep's effective. And then we can start identifying certain foods that whenever they eat this certain food, their sleep scores all jacked up. Okay. Well now maybe we, we adjust that. Um, so, so that's another area that the wearables, um, I should have thrown those in there. I'm glad you led me to that. <laughs> I think they're going to change the game because we're getting that, that feedback in real time to again, see that how these, you know, uh, external variables like, you know, training load, nutrition, et cetera, is affecting that, that athlete. And, and we can, we can adjust as, as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. The aura rings with the sleep. I, I, you know, I hear is great. I've, I've thought about getting one. I know a few people that have one and I've heard, uh, nothing but good things. And then they have the, uh, levels, uh, with the glycolysis meter that they stick in there. I hopefully get them on the, on the podcast and I, I'm, I'll get to try that very soon. So that should be good. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's great to be able to do that. Right. And, and the more that we can find out, because as we've been talking about nutrition affects everything, you know, but if your sleep's garbage, you know, I'm sure you've gone through it days you don't sleep. You'll just nonchalantly sometimes wake up in the morning and you'll want bagels and cream cheese and, and sugar. And I, I think that's something that most people don't understand that your body just nonchalantly it shift, shift, almost shifts into a gear, you know, and I think that that's uh, something to, to be you know, aware of that. Like I said, it, it changes and, and everything has to do with it. And they're all, all combined. Uh, when, when guys are, are going through, you know, hard training, let's say, do you, do you flip-flop like their nutrition? Like do you move their nutrition around based on, uh, how much physical activity they're doing and, and, and things of that sort? Yes. I like to, you know, just like you would periodize a program again, you know, something from the strength conditioning world is like, I'm going to periodize the nutrition, um, based off of, you know, their, their training volume and, and how intense it, it is. Um, so, you know, if, if you have, you know, really hard days, then, then that's going to be your, your higher calories, the, the lower, you know, kind of output days, it's going to be the lower calories. Um, so that's, that's exactly how I would, you know, lay out, lay out a program. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I think that's also something that needs to be addressed because we, we're just starting to do that now with, with volume, you know, and I always, that's always an interesting thing where before it was, they eat whatever they want and you put them through it, everything, and, and they'll be okay. Or we always, you know, how do they feel when they get there instead of saying, okay, high days, you eat this low days, you eat that and, and, and kind of going through that way. So I think that's good to see in there. Um, what are some of the things that, um, you know, you try to teach them along the way, you know, I know we talk about, you know, getting them to, uh, kind of understand the program. What do you think, I'll rephrase it, what do you think are the, the most important things to teach people when you're going through nutrition? Like, what do you want them to take away? Say I come to you and I see you for X amount of time. For everybody out listening, what are some of the, the key things to kind of focus on to make sure that your nutrition plan takes and, and they're getting the results that, that both you and them want? Okay. Uh, the, the first thing I talk about, and we, we kind of hit on it and it throws people off, is sleep. Um, I, because again, if, if you are only sleeping three, four hours a night, you're going to make poor nutritional choices, no matter what I tell you. And, and you, you know, you're just not going to recover. You're not going to uh, have those, those, those sort of uh, adaptations that we want. And so I want to make sure you're, you're sleeping a lot. That's why like with energy drinks, um, unlike some of my colleagues, you know, energy drinks are evil, this or that. I don't necessarily see them in, in that fashion, at least the, you know, kind of, you know, if it's just some caffeine or maybe an amino acid uh, ones. Um, I'm sure there's some extremes out there that would fall in another category, but I'm like, if, if a soldier or cadet comes to me and they're drinking three energy drinks today, I'm not like, Oh, that's horrible. It's going to rot your brain. I'm like, well, why aren't you sleeping? So, so that, that's what I look for is, is, is so sleep. Um, the other piece of it is hydration. So then I'm looking at, at hydration and making sure you're getting adequate 
uh, fluid in throughout the day. Cause a lot of folks, you know, unless you're carrying a water bottle around right now, if you're listening to this, you're probably dehydrated. You, mm-hmm. You're not drinking enough fluids. Cause if, if we wait, and especially now with COVID, that's the thing you see, cause most water fountains are shut down, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, all, all, yeah, all our, all our water fountains, you know, that you would normally drink. Um, so everybody, if you don't have a water bottle, you're, you're not getting water. Yeah. Yeah. As as I say it. Um, so, so, so that's the other piece of it. And and then, um, then, then lastly, the third piece, I actually get to, to the actual nutrition and I use just a a simple, you know, plate method. I don't count calories or macros. If somebody wants to do that, I can, you know, teach them that, but I'm like, all right, I draw a circle. I cut the plate in half. I quarter it. And I'm like, okay, I got my protein, I got my starch, I got my vegetables. That's an easy training day or I'm not doing anything. If I'm training, you know, really hard, now all of a sudden, you know, I bump up my starch. Now half my plate starch, I got my vegetable, I got my protein. You see what I'm saying? And I just manipulate it that way and go through it, uh, you know, with them there. Just because I find that's a practical thing that when, you know, a soldier's in the chow hall or a cadet's in the mess hall, they, ha- they all have a plate, right? And they can look at it and be like, okay, you know, these vegetables, I can put this on here. Okay, there's my protein. I can put this on here. Here's my starches. I can put that on there versus being like, I want you to eat 120 grams of carbohydrates, <laughs> uh, 45 grams of protein, and, you know, this many grams of fat. Now, there's some athletes out there that are like that, that'll, you know, uh, go through it and calculate it. But for the most people, it's like, hey, I want your plate to look like this. Go make your plate look like this, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a great strategy because as you said, the numbers are, it's so confusing, right? And then I think one of the other things that we, that gets, um, you know, isn't there is if you actually break down the amount of, you know, calories per kilo and things like that, the amount of food you have to eat, right? Or the overall majority of what things have to actually be. I always think it's interesting, you know, you see people, oh, you know, eat, just eat chicken. Oh, you need 250. I'm like, do you know what 250, you know, grams of protein looks like in terms of just chicken? you know, or, or even lettuce, you know, I mean, there's nothing in there. So a bag of lettuce is, is a lot of stuff and it's a sure volume. So I like how that approach of just breaking those things down. Um, if, if somebody you, you work with, right, say they can't get all those nutritional things or they can't touch all kinds of those plates, what are the things you concentrate on most? Say they're not able to get all those things with the starch and the vegetables. How would you kind of go about that if that happened? You know, it depends a lot of the the goals. So, so if I'm working with somebody who's losing weight, right, I want to make sure I'm I'm hitting their protein targets. That's going to be my main thing because that's what's going to preserve that lean muscle mass, right? Um, for an athlete like a soccer player, I mean, I want adequate protein, but I want to make sure they're hitting those carbohydrates um, because you know that's what's going to drive uh, the fuel. And you brought up a good point about like kind of calories and not understanding the volume of food. And this misconception is. You know, athletes, uh, particularly it seems like female athletes don't understand that, you know, that, you know, 2000 calorie diet that's on the back of most labels, you, you don't need that. That's for a sedentary, the average American, you know, an athlete, you're, you're going to need maybe 3000, 3200 calories. And to your point, they don't realize that how much food they should be eating. I find um, athletes under eating um, sometimes, particularly again, like female athletes, they, they don't want to, you know, eat that much food. And it's like, hey, food is fuel. You're out there, you know, you're going to the weight room for 45 minutes a day. You're out on, you know, at soccer practice for three hours a day. And then especially our athletes because they're cadets. So then they have like boxing class. They've got combatives. They've got all these other stuff as part of their coursework that they're doing, that they're burning all these calories on top of strength conditioning, on top of their sport. So they need to eat, you know, three, four, 5,000 calories a day, um, you know, depending on their size and, and the sport. And so getting them to understand it and eat that volume of food um, is, is really important because, you know, every label in America has that 2000 calorie diet, oh, yeah. understanding that that doesn't apply to us. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's interesting, you know, going into like a vitamin shop nowadays, or I don't know if GNC is still open, but the thing with that is, I, I think it's interesting moving, you know, with that stuff is you really can't go in there anymore and get something to eat after workout. You know, I mean, I go, I remember a few times I went in there, you go down the aisles, everything has no carbs in it. All these bars have protein and six ounce. And I went to the guy by the counter. I'm like, what am I supposed to eat in here? I just worked out. I need like a hundred grams of carbohydrates and everything you have is, is kind of, you know, has nothing in it. So I think too, we're in a state where we, we take those things away too, right? All those, everybody listening, all those things that they make to cut corners, if you would meals, they're taking things out of it. And it's almost impossible to get 
what you need out of any of those meal replacement things because there's nothing in them. Yeah, you know, if 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 that's kind of the the craze and we've seen it, you know, versus you know no fat or now it's you know lower carb. Um, and so that's why I try to give them practical things like, you know, Hey, chocolate milk, you got a four to one carb to protein ratio. It's, it's, it's pretty delicious. You know, you, you can take this in and, and, and giving them, you know, kind of these food options, uh, that you can, you can get in if, if they don't have, you know, bars. And the other piece you got to look out for bars is sometimes like I've, I've found lately a high sugar alcohol uh, content, which, you know, I had to educate some athletes on, I'm like, do you know what that does to your gut? And then they're like, Oh, that's why that happens when I eat those bars. I'm like, yes. I'm like, so you don't want to eat that game day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, these little pieces uh, of education, you know, sometimes with the athletes help out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, education is most important, you know, understanding everything. And I think not being too overwhelming, because I think you see that a lot too. Oh, you want to learn about nutrition, read this giant book and go through all these <laughs> things. And, you know, a lot of it with the, you know, the organic chemistry and molecular, that's just very, you know, good to know, but it's also very confusing. So I think it's great what you do to kind of break everything down as simple as, as you can do it, you know, and, and I think that goes across the board, breaking everything down simple because, you know, the, 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 at the end of the day, the people that you're training, you know, whether they're, you know, part of the tackle field or sports, they don't have time to listen and go over all this stuff, right? Occasionally you'll get a gym who knows how many calories he does and how much he burns and, and keeps that stuff there. But I think we, sometimes we get too far away from simple, right? The plate method, right? I love vegetable starch and a protein and, you know, just concentrate on getting this much protein and then that's it. As opposed to, oh, you weigh that, you need 300 calories of this. And, 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 you know, we, we start to overwhelm people. And then I think we see when things get out of hand, nutrition is the first thing that kind of goes up in the air, right? They're not going to miss workouts, but they're going to eat candy bars or they're not going to make sure that they're sticking to their diet. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and to understand sometimes the candy bar might be their best option. I mean, <laughs> so, so especially, and that's the other pieces, you know, depending on what athletes you're working with, if, if it's that athlete that needs to hit 4,000 calories and, you know, they're, they're sitting at 3000 or 3,200 and you got to figure out a way to get in some extra calories. Um, it's, it's not always, uh, uh, you know, uh, quinoa and <laughs> broccoli, right. Oh, and just, and just understanding that and, and nothing wrong with quinoa and broccoli. It's great. It's delicious. That's what I'm eating most of the time. Uh, but again, for an athlete with, with a high caloric output, there's going to be, uh, some, you know, some stuff in there that that's not what people might, you know, necessarily consider healthy and that's fine because it's fuel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's great to you bring everything is fuel, right? You have to look at everything as a fuel for a gas tank. I think everybody, if you want to see, actually, we talked about food volume, watch the Eddie Hall documentary on Netflix when he goes to the supermarket and the amount of stuff that he eats on a daily basis is just astounding to get, you know, 10,000 calories. Yep. The chocolate milks and the cake. Uh, so for anybody out there who wants to get involved in, in the nutrition field, right, what are some things that you would give them as advice, right? If they're in high school, they're thinking about going into what, what do you think that they should concentrate on, you know, while in high school? And then how should they kind of put the stones down to, to kind of create their path? I would say first and foremost is find a mentor. If you can, you know, find out, you know, who in the field is doing what you're, you know, you want to do or, or has went there and reach out to them. Um, make it short you know, bottom line up front, get right to it. Don't, don't give them a dissertation, just, you know, short. Um, and, and uh, you know, find that individual. And, and that's, that's huge. That's kind of your anchor. That, that's your first step. And then the other thing is, you know, do your research in terms of programs. So, uh, you know, one of the things with being a dietitian, you have to do a dietetic internship. Soon you have to have a master's. That can be expensive because you got to pay for school to get your master's. You got to pay to do a dietetic internship, which is, you know, an unbelievable uh, kind of racket when you think about it, because it's like you're doing work, but you're paying to do work. But I won't get into that. It's absolutely you, brilliant. The word intern, you're like, great. oh, I get to learn, but I'm paying them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that was what, you know, one of the driving factors for me, besides, you know, wanting to serve and be in the military, because I had a family history in military service that was great was the military paid me to do my internship. So there's a graduate program in nutrition. Um, so we, we, and it's accredited through Baylor university. So you can, you can go, you can get your master's from Baylor university while you're getting paid. You get, you get your internship while you're getting paid. And now you've got your master's, you're a registered dietitian and the whole time you were making money. And, and now, you know, you're in the military. It's a great, uh, 
um, thing. So that was what kind of drove me and what, you know, what I looked in, you know, into going that route. But if you want to work with, uh, you know, a college team or professional athletic team, again, look at the individuals that are there and what education and, and what route um, they went and be humble and ask questions. And, and I think that's the best advice is, you know, getting that mentor, doing your homework, doing the research. Oh, and then the last part is take an action. <laughs> yep. Actually, actually, do, which, which I'm sure you, you, you have stories, uh, you know, you, sometimes I encounter folks, I lay it out there and you follow up with them, you know, three months later, it's like, what have you done? Uh, I'm still, you know, I'm still researching, you know, don't, don't, don't be that person. Whereas I, I just had a, a individual, um, his name's Joe, actually, you know, I, I, we, we met, he reached out, I laid out like what to do. He just shot me an email. And I mean, he like listed all the stuff since we last talked, I've done this, this, and this, this is what I have planned next. This is what, you know, I read that. I'm like, Hey, I got to help that guy out. He's got to, he's going somewhere. He's got a plan. Um, so, so I think that's also very important. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And and just to, I, I'm the other way. I do it in, in the other order that you do. I okay. start doing it and then I kind of figure out as hey, I go along. It's not the best thing. Works. And I, you know, everybody out there, but, but it, it keeps me in, it, it take starts action. the action, right? Yeah. You take you, action. Exactly. You, you light the match, the action starts, and then you kind of figure things out. It's a little bit rougher that way, but I find the pressure of already starting the journey when you're not, when you don't have all the supplies kind of keeps you on there. And, and, and that's how kind of, I've always been again, that's not that that's the best way to do things, but you know, I think that the moral that you never want to be over-prepared and then not take action because you need to take the action. So I think that's, those are great uh, piece of advice. And, and especially like the part of understand where you're going and what you're looking for, right? I think there's a lot of, I want to go here because it looks nice or they, they've been on, you know, not to say that, but they've been on ESPN or, or something happens and you find out that the program is really not that great, you know, or, there, or there's different issues, you know, make sure, you know, just like you said, understand what you want. And then if you're kind of stuck in between, or you're not sure between two play, the internship or the information you get out of them is going to determine the next part, right? So if you like two places and one is very, you know, engaging and they answer a lot of questions and the other one is not, that's how you can get your answers, right? But I, I love that advice and I love always hearing that because I think one of the things, oh, I want to go to Florida because they're Florida. And I'm like, yeah, but they might not help you become, you know, they might not teach you anything. You know, you might just get up at five o'clock in the morning and fill ice trays up for three months and, you know, not nothing against the University of Florida, but those are the things that happen. So I, I think that's a great, great piece of advice to just always make sure you have an idea of where you're going and what you're learning or what you're getting into. And then to know, you know, what you want and not hundred percent, but at least to kind of, you know, like you said, to mirror somebody or find a mentor and find a mentor who's like, like blows you away. Right. I mean, I use it all the time. I still try to be around people that I stand in awe when they talk because it makes you feel bad. Right. If you're, not that it makes you feel bad in a bad way, but you know, you, you want to be around those people. I was just speaking to my friend before the podcast about Dan Path. I don't know if you, he's from the, uh, he does all T's, he trains the Olympic team, but he's like a running guru. And like, if you're around him, you feel like you know nothing about, you know, anything. He can tell you what's wrong with people when they run past him with like his back towards him. So I, I always love that advice. No, that's, that's what, what is it? It's like you're, you're the average of the five people you hang around or, or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, that's so, the, and I believe it. No, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I, I, you know, my, all, all my colleagues are smarter than me. I'm the dumbest person in the room most of the time, wherever I go. And uh, I prefer it that way. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. I, I think that's huge. I think that's the most, one of the most under you, you want to be the, the dumbest person in the room, right? And if yeah. you're the smartest person in the room, you have to go find a new room. And, and that's just, that's not an ego thing. And I don't think, I think it's something taking the, it causes you to, to push, right? We talk about complacency. Your body will naturally go into complacency if you don't challenge it. It's just what it does, right? We're made to do that. If you don't have to do certain things, we get used to stuff. So I think that, you know, not being the smartest person room is, is a great piece of advice because you always want to up the status quo because then your brain will adjust, right? There's a lot of stuff in, in psychology where when you get a new job or you go somewhere where you're unfamiliar or there's something that's harder, your brain releases new chemicals in this because it's starting to grow and it's starting to expand its its neural pathways, if you will, so that it can cope with the new stat, the new kind of environment and the new change. Oh, 100%. I'm got, got to grow. 
<laughs> of course. Uh, Nick, if anybody wants to reach out to you, ask you questions about what we talked about here, get any more advice or a little bit more in depth, what is the best place to reach you and, and ask you some questions or, or just kind of chat? So, so I got to have, have to look to make sure uh, I get this right. Uh, it's a little embarrassing. You know, my wife has, has made me, um, you know, get with modern times. So the Instagram. <laughs> um, so so I am a, a, a Nick Berenger PhD RDN. And uh, folks have, have, you know, that's that's where you reached out and, and other folks have, have reached out to me uh, there. And, and I find that to be probably the most effective way um because you can ask me a question and i can just respond right there on my cell phone um so i yeah i'm 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 getting with the the modern day i didn't have an instagram account till a year ago and my wife made me do it she just set it up and it's like here it's yours so yep no absolutely it's me too trying to get on the social media never liked it but now we have to do it uh and also as for that when i put the post up for advertisement next week when the episode comes out i will tag your instagram in the in the post uh, so if anybody, you know, they just click on it and it'll bring you right to your page to ask you some questions. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's probably the best way. Awesome. Well, Nick, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I really enjoyed everything we went on and it was great talking to you and and kind of, you know, going down your journey and, and just learning about everything you've been through. And, and thank you for the, the great advice. Oh, no, Joe, it was, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for reaching out. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you.